2: Welcome back to episode two of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy. My name is Tyler Fornis, and with me today is the creator of the concept, Fred Moreland. Fred, they let us back for your second show. It's a banner day for us.
3: Yeah, they uh, didn't change the locks. I can't believe it, but here we are. Uh, I had a question to start us off with. Uh, Tyler, I just want you to think about the angriest you've ever been. Just, you know think about don't have to say what it was because it never turns out well just think about how angry you've been the angry you know at the worst mm-hmm. point in your life in terms of anger who and using that knowledge who do you think is angrier about the subject do you think it is cm punk about colt cabana which i'm pretty sure it could power several small countries with just the output of his rage Or do you think that it's uh, the Nebraska athletic department who had the, I know you're a football guy. I'm like a sicko football guy in that. I just like the chaos happens in college football who opted to fire their head coach like three weeks early when they could have saved, what was a Seven and a half million dollars. Which scenario do you think uh, required more anger?
2: Oh, let me tell you, I think it was uh, the janitor who reported that urban Meyer was visiting with Trev Alberts at uh memorial stadium um but, yeah it's uh it's really tough when you're in a situation like college football where you should have fired him over a year ago but you didn't you instead had him take a small pay cut and then you hated him so much you gave him an extra seven and a half million dollars and then cm punk with cole cabana is a little bit about money but it's more uh about hatred and distrust man those are incredibly comparable situations and i Honestly could not tell you which one is worse.
3: I I just keep thinking about how angry I'd have to be to waste seven and a half million dollars personally, but that's just me. Um I'd probably go see him, punk if I was being honest, you know, just because you know that's the hold on holding on to that for that long is uh, impressive. But
2: yeah. But is it worse than Arizona State firing uh Herm Edwards yesterday after losing by ten points to an Eastern Michigan team after The school was implicated on recruiting charges, and they're still going through that process. They lost a ton of players through the transfer portal. They've had to fire a ton of coaches. Like that one might be the creme de la creme of the situation.
3: I don't know that's anger as much as disappointment. You know, just I expected more from you, Herm, kind of deal, but well, anyways, anyways, he lived up to
2: his thing. He played to win the game. He just played it poorly.
3: Didn't succeed got a cat running um well this is a definitely a uh, wrestling podcast so let's talk about wrestling Uh, where do you want to start this week
2: i think we need to start with kenny omega um and obviously he was a part of that scrum um and you talked about cm punk and kenny's living his best life right now in japan visiting the sega studios which i am inherently jealous uh but at the talent meeting it was reported and confirmed that he said i wouldn't have hired 80 percent of you um that was confirmed for the person uh joe lanza um of the flagship podcast on this very network had talked to and it was previously re- reported by brian last and jib cornett now this is where the caveat gets very interesting Meltzer said that he confirmed that omega did say it one version is that he was looking at osprey when he said it and then quickly said it was a joke and others were very upset by it lanza reported further um that an industry source told him that two different locker room sources separate from each other told the person that agents are highly visible and helpful, that there's no side of leadership from the EVPs. And that kind of ties into everything here because when you're an EVP and you're kind of absent and then you have something like that to say, it's not exactly a great look. Now, if it was a joke and it came off completely like a joke and some took offense to it, you could say, Hey, you shouldn't say that buddy, but considering all these other factors, it feels like Kenny Omega was a giant doofus and really just makes himself looking like an absolute ass here.
3: Yeah, I think he definitely stuck his foot in it. Um, To me, it's far more a situation of just uh, trying to make a joke and then just completely failing at it than any kind of ill will, which I think the initial reports kind of made it sound like it could have been. But I just, you know... Regardless, in that position, you probably should not be saying that you would not have hired the majority of your locker room. That's not going to help morale, and that's not going to help anything. Um, so it's just a matter of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I don't know that this is really going to matter at any real point in the future. But, yeah, it's just very dumb. Not not smart. That's a, that's a unforced error right there.
2: No, 100% un- unforced error, but... It all plays into everything. Um, And kind of talking further along with those suspensions, uh, Fred, it appears that Christopher Daniels, Michael Nakazawa, Pat Buck, and Brandon Cutler suspensions have ended. Um, We don't have that as an official confirmation, but we have been seeing them doing outside things with the company, especially Christopher Daniels being in Japan um, wrestling exhibition matches um, in promotion of the new video game.
3: Right. There was that Tokyo Game Awards show, I think it was, that uh, he was part of. And the speculation, though, I haven't heard any actual like confirmation as to this, is that Kenny Omega was originally scheduled to go over to Japan for that. And since he's suspended, he's unable to do that. So he was just like, well, I'll just go anyway and just do my nerd stuff. Um Yeah, uh, I think that there was confirmation from Meltzer, not from AEW itself, that at least uh, Christopher Daniels and and, uh, I think Pat Buck were officially uh, back in standing, and I think Cutler also got a report. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, we're kind of down to the nitty-gritty of the investigation they're doing, and assuming that they actually say anything, uh, which has not really been AEW's uh, play over the past six to twelve months is making official announcements of what they're doing. They, you know, you you could see some resolution here. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, concern and you know talk about how they've changed the marketing for the Full Gear pay per view by removing the elite from the poster. Um, that's pretty easy to change. You know, I mean, all you got to do is just put together another image and upload it and bam, they're back as far as that's concerned. I just think that's a reflection of the current situation. And I don't think that there's really too much to read into that going forward.
2: Uh, I wouldn't read too much into it either. I think you and I are on the same page here. Um, there is more that's come out about the fight, Fred. Are you ready for this? Oh, please. All right. Um, per the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, um, Punk's side said he swung first because he was expecting a fight to happen. Ace Steel did what he did because his wife, who has a broken foot, was in the room, and he felt that he had to protect her. Punk's side claims Omega was trying to put someone in a crossface or choke, while the other side said he was just trying to separate people. Now, some of this we had already known. We knew uh, Ace Steel's wife was in there and had a broken foot. Um, We had also heard that Kenny Omega... Specifically, went out and grabbed Larry and got him out of the room because of the fight. Which, honestly, if you know much about Kenny Omega, he loves dogs. And it is literally
3: his Twitter bio, you know, in there that he uh, is a fan of puppies and other animals. Yeah. yeah uh, he is- <laughs> I can't get over that detail. The, the Larry bit is, uh, I don't know, it just kills me every time.
2: Yeah, it's it's great, but it also kind of puts into perspective this whole thing. We obviously are going to have a he said she said about this, because not only is it going to make one side look good or bad, but it's also could impact salary Mm -hmm. and jobs. And this is this is where some of this information can either be good or bad, and it can also be put out with a spin. So you have to kind of sift through everything and try and piece it together yourself based on this. If. Omega was trying to put someone in a crossface or a choke and he could still be trying to separate people because in, in a fight like this, when it's an all out brawl, grabbing somebody from behind and kind of putting him in a choke to subdue him is not exactly an abnormal thing. So it, you know, I'm not necessarily uh, team CM Punk or team elite here, but it feels like both sides are trying to say the same thing. And unless, there is actually like, hey, Omega's intentionally trying to inflict harm. I I don't think he's in the wrong here.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's it's this is such a uh, I mean, there's no video, and unless I was, uh, you know, Mega uh, Mega Parko is it? I, I forget her last name now, but the legal uh, advisor to uh, AEW or another witness, you know, there's no way you're going to know what actually happened there. Uh, and this is not going to be like a normal workplace situation where regardless of what you're doing, unless you're like uh, very, very high on the org char- chart, you're not going to be able to get away with um, biting or throwing a chair or anything. You know, in a normal corporate situation, a steel would not be providing enough value where he'd keep a job. And uh, CM Punk himself would probably not be, you know, with the accusations of him throwing first, would probably not be... Uh, around much longer either but the reality is is scm punk is uh by most measures practically every measure a major draw for AEW, perhaps their biggest draw and uh you know tony khan i would not think would just be gung-ho to get rid of that because it's show business not show friends or show don't bite other people so as part of that you know the, the calculus is going to involve not just what they did, but what they provided the company. And you can say that's not right, but that's the truth of it. You know, I would have to say that A Steel is going to be having a shorter leash uh, than uh, CM Punk. You know, A Steel, I would not be... The only reason I could possibly imagine him sticking around is if CM Punk's like, if he goes, I go, and Tony Khan gives in on that. Uh, just from what's been reported of course this is all I assuming mean, it's all true blah 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 etc allegations whatever um but you know if you're allegedly chucking a chair at someone and allegedly biting someone and all this other stuff has happened allegedly um, then i you know if your job is to especially with the role he has which is a agent who is supposed to help keep the peace backstage i don't it's a real hard argument i think to for him to maintain his job Um, The real interesting thing is that the Young Bucks went in there with uh, the legal advisor, uh, the head of legal, and um, CM Punk saw that and was like, well, they're definitely going to throw first. And, you know, unless like uh, a switch was flipped on one of the Young Bucks when they walked in that room, that just doesn't make sense to me from the person on the outside. Um, If you were looking to swing first, if you're looking for a fight, you wouldn't grab the head of legal and be like, Hey, come in this room. I'm going to totally knock someone out. So I don't know. It's a big mess. Uh, We're, you know, it's going to always be, uh, you know, accusations till the day they all die. And the heat death of the universe, but you know, it'll shake out somehow. Uh, At this point, I'm kind of almost tired of the speculation of what will happen just because, you know, nobody really knows. And this is uh, at least one part of the company that has been completely shored up when it comes to leaks as far as what the company is going to do.
2: Yeah, this is very interesting. And one element that we haven't talked about nearly enough with this, Fred, is all of this came out. And after that talent meeting where they basically said, hey, stop talking to the press about this. Let's talk about it in-house. Let's get it fixed instead of being all petty. And it keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. Oh, yeah.
3: They, whatever, uh, they had hoped to do to stop the leaks is not happening. Now, you know, as someone who goes back and reads like old observer newsletters and stuff, that's nothing new. I mean, you would, the, the idea that like no one ever leaks anything has never happened in the history of wrestling, even in the, um, you know, the WWE Monopoly days of the past decade, you'd still have stuff come out from backstage. Um, obviously, it wasn't this much drama, but the situation was very different there where practically no one felt safe in their job. Um, I think that AEW, for the most part, has an atmosphere where, you know, if uh, Tony Khan finds out that you talk to someone about, I don't know, your feelings on an angle or something, as long as you weren't completely burying the company, I don't think anything's going to really happen to you. You know, sometimes it's not exactly hard to decipher who the sources are on these stories when it comes out through whatever media source it comes out of, whether that be uh, Sean Ross Sapp or Meltzer or Joe Lanza. Uh, You can put two and two together and figure it out if you know enough. And I'd imagine that Tony Khan knows enough about those people to be able to take a guess at things and nothing's happened yet, as far as we know uh but yeah the leaks aren't done um and i don't know i think that at this point it's just normal you know it's just this is the industry
2: yeah it, it is the industry and it's just a lot of carnies and that makes things really really fun um kind of continue moving on here because we have quite a few news and notes to, before we really start diving into the show um On his Twitch stream, Cole Cabana said that his brother, Greg, who is a director for Family Guy, also shares a checking account with their mother. Kind of signifies, at least in my opinion, that this is more of, hey, this is us just taking care of our mom thing rather than Scott and Greg are babies and they just need to be attached to their mom.
3: Yeah, the two things in Punk's rant that really come off the worst for him, in my opinion, other than the fact that he completely banked the company. But just like as far as a, you know, argument from him were the checking account thing and also the managing a target thing. Because if you've ever been in a crappy target, you know that it's not exactly easy to have a good, you know, store like that. But like, I don't know who could even care that Cole Cabana shares a checking account with his mother and assuming that that's because Cole Cabana is a dope or whatever, you know, it it might not even be the case. Maybe his mom is, you know, needs quick access to money due to health issues or something. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't matter because like, to me, that's like the biggest who could possibly care from the entire deal to me.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know, I've thought about uh, starting an account and opening up with my mom because I have borrowed a bunch of money from her just to so we could get our house, and I'm slowly paying her back, and it would just make the process a whole lot easier if I just started putting money in there. But we we just don't know, and it it really feels unfair that Punk threw that out there because he gave zero context behind it. Who knows? Every family dynamic is different, and the way people handle money as far as within families is – incredibly different and like uh, hopefully it's everything with colton's family's okay but it, that one just felt like a really nasty cheap shot that
3: yeah it was just wasn't yeah just like it didn't even add anything to his argument like cole cabana could be a total asshole and also be nice to his mom like okay cool <laughs> who cares mm-hmm. so dumb just entirely a- dumb
2: absolutely speaking of dumb being the elite And it's dumb in all the fun ways Um, it is going on hiatus, which honestly we probably could have expected or seen coming due to the fact that they were suspended from AEW and a lot of their content comes from being around AEW wrestlers. And that's how their storylines progress. Fred, I have a theory that I know has been perpetuated around the internet. I think being the elite might be done because it is an offshoot of AEW technically is not a part of the company, and they, while it's fun for the fans, it doesn't really hold any inherent value, at least from my perspective, for AEW. Um, what are your opinions on it?
3: You could argue that it leads to greater fan engagement, uh, I suppose. And that would be why you might want to keep it around. But I also could see how they look at it. The Young Bucks and Brandon Cutler, who are the guys, you know, mainly Brandon Cutler putting the videos together, could just look at it and be like, this is such a expenditure of time that we could be better spent somewhere else in our lives. And they could just be like, all right, we're done. I mean, it'd be a pretty funny way for it to end in kind of a, you know, disastrous you know, looking way, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean... It may be over. I don't. I feel like it's kind of past its peak in terms of making a difference for people. I don't know that anyone has really gotten over off of BTE since like the Dark Order 2020 year. Um, you know, maybe you know, maybe that's just uh, me, but
2: yeah, yeah. Very- it just is one of those things, it is what it is, and it'll be interesting to see if it uh, pops back up. And we know it would pop back up if uh, this story ended up coming to fruition and they ended up going to WWE. But the, biz- <laughs> the bizarre phone call story of the Young Bucks um, calling a longtime friend at WWE and asking um, and inquiring about potentially working there. Now, we know they probably would have ended up going to WWE if AEW was never formed, Fred. But this one just seems wild and and perpetuating a rumor just to uh, try and redirect uh, what is happening currently with all this backstage drama.
3: Yeah, it just didn't make any sense to me from the word go. Uh, First of all, we know that they're friends with guys in WWE, like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn for sure, especially Owens. Uh, It's pretty clear they're close. If you remember about three or four years ago on BTE, they did a bit where they were outside in Montreal, uh, before AEW started, uh, just for an indie show, and uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn walked by separately and like asked for directions or something, you know, just like little quick uh, cameos while they were under contract with WWE. Um, I mean, and and the idea that like after negotiating already in 2019 with Triple H directly that they wouldn't be able to get a hold of them if they wanted to like just do a quick, you know, hey, you guys open to business with us in the future maybe it doesn't ring true to me at all. Just a really bizarre story that I don't think has much credence to it whatsoever. And especially with like it being linked somehow to Dave Meltzer reporting it. And Meltzer having to say, I said absolutely nothing of this sort. And I've heard nothing after t- along these lines. I mean, just, it's just one of those weird, uh, you know, internet wrestling telephone games that we've all been stuck into. Uh, another story we got coming up is that uh, for Triple Vania, uh, we already uh, know that they were trying to get in uh, someone from AEW to face Ty of Valkyrie for their women's championship, but were unable to for a variety of reasons. Thunder Rosa. Being on hiatus with her injury, of course, we talked about that last week. And uh, there's also a report that they had asked for. I think it was Tony Storm and Triple uh, AEW just outright said no to that. Uh, there's a report that uh, Conan said on his podcast that Kenny Omega would be unable to be at Triple Mania due to his suspension, and Meltzer has put out that actually omega was never booked for the show they wanted to bring him in for it he never said yes and by this point in time he officially can't do anything else because of the suspension so he it was never the plan for him to be there and it became the story that like you know it was somehow scandalous that he could not do triple mania when it was never really a plan for him to do so May have lost Tyler here. I think he's uh, he's on mute. I don't know if he's been eaten or if this is still recording, so I'm just going to keep going ahead. Hey,
2: I'm here, Fred. I am here. I'm not used to recording with a mute button since most of my uh, recording. I do live streaming on YouTube, and I never have to mute, so this is this is new. Um, but um, it's, it's one of those things when you try and book with AAA, even though it's almost becoming like a sister company where they are they do share talent? The Lucha brothers are more AEW than AAA at this point. Same with Andrade, and like you have Sammy and uh Tay Conti, like they hold the, the mixed tag team titles, they're AEW wrestlers first. So, if FTR,
3: too. FTR with the tag belts,
2: yeah, um, it, it really feels like even though tag belts or the, sorry, these titles really don't mean anything in Mexico in comparison to pretty much everywhere else in the world. Um, it, especially it feels-
3: those belts, especially the belts we just talked about. Like the only one that really means anything are the top singles titles. You know, the, the Reina de Reina's uh, uh, one uh, has some value, I think. They do try to push that as the centerpiece of the division and the, the mega heavyweight championship. Uh, also is a pretty important part of their company, but not like the focus. Uh, but everything else is just kind of there. Uh, the mixed tag belts uh, have very little meaning, I can say, from having watched the A in the past. The tag belts kind of do, but mainly, I, I would think they would still do basically the same matches without it if they didn't have them. Um, but yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's becoming an interesting dynamic, and it feels like in these situations, Tony Khan has shifted into having all the power.
3: Yeah, for sure. And there's also another story here uh, with uh, Warrior Wrestling, which unsurprisingly would have even less power in the relationship with AEW than Dirk Way would. But they were trying to book a uh, Lucha Bros. Briscoe Brothers match, which would be, I think, a first time match on one of their shows. And AEW was like, no, you're not going to do that. That's for us. (laughs) And so they uh, they split up those matches. They're both wrestling separate teams now. And uh, AEW is also having Eddie Kingston go wrestle a match that's kind of a, sorry for ruining your plans, but we can't let you do this premiere first time ever match on your show instead of ours.
2: And you know what? That's smart because yeah. not only did Tony Khan say, hey, no, we're using that as a money drawing match, but we're also going to send you another draw so you can still make money on this show and it's while it's not a perfect scenario, I, I think that the make good makes a big difference here.
3: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, now, I think the biggest story in AEW right now, outside of the situation with the elite and CM Punk, um, is the Malachi Black situation. Uh, after his pay per view match off camera, he did like a, a kiss the crowd goodbye kind of deal. And he went and did a prestige wrestling show on Saturday Saturday night where he faced Kid Bandit and won. And then afterwards did a promo about how he's going to be taking some time off. And I think earlier today, it may have been yesterday, um, put out a statement about how he is uh, taking some time away for ma- mainly mental health reasons. Uh, he, you know, cited a variety of things: uh, death of a couple close family members and friends, uh, that back injury he's been dealing with that he thought was going to end his career and everything. And there is the report that he um, asked for his release from AEW, and that he may or may not have received a conditional release from the company. Um, the interesting thing I think with this is, you know, this is very much a situation where I think if it happened in the first year or so of a W, we would know exactly what Malachi Black's status would be or is with the company in that situation, but they've really changed how they handle news and are keeping things very quiet. Now it's possible that they haven't hammered out all the details because Malachi black had four years left on his contract. And I'm sure that Tony, uh, Khan did not have plans for him to be leaving this early into the deal, assuming that's the situation, and uh, would not be exactly happy if he went to WWE, where he would be pushed probably pretty heavily, since uh, Triple H always seemed to value him more than Vince McMahon Command did, for sure. Um, so I guess I'll ask you, um, Tyler, what do you think about how the assuming this is it from Malachi Black and AEW, what do you think about how his run in the company went for hmm, almost the year he was in?
2: Uh, Disappointing. I think that's really the only way you can describe it because his style is so unique and he is such a good in-ring worker. I I feel like that there was just so much more meat on the bone for what you could have uh, seen from him in the ring and some of the matchups that he wasn't able to have. Obviously you would love to see him against a guy like Kenny Omega. How mm-hmm. great would a House of Black versus um, United Empire trios match have been? Or at least. Yeah, th- those are off the table now. And I know people kind of rained on his parade because the House of Black gimmick was spooky. And <laughs> your mileage is going to vary on if you liked the gimmick or not. But once they got in the ring, it was, for the most part, no bullshit, no frills. And they went out and they fought. And it was great in-ring wrestling that's going to be missed. Like that trio was awesome. You had the big guy in uh, Brody King. You had the small heater in Buddy Murphy. And then Malachi Black is kind of your main eventer of the trio. And it was really, really good to see those guys working together. And it would have been nice to see them get a real run. But if Malachi Black uh, feels the need to take some time off for mental health, good for him. Yeah. And as far as AEW is concerned, Giving him that opportunity to do that, good on them, but it's also in their prerogative to say, Hey, you can't go to WWE for X amount of time. When WWE contracts are the way they are, they use it's usually a 90 day. Will it be a 90 day with AEW? It's a four year deal that four years left, as you said. I mean, that he's reneging on and is asking to be released from. I don't see Tony Khan being willing to be like, Hey, go ahead, after 90 days, you can do whatever you want. There's probably some kind of agreement like, hey, I need to take some time off for mental health. Khan's probably giving him X amount of dollars. And then at a certain point, he can go uh, and re-sign with WWE and get pushed by Triple H. But once those details come out, it's going to set a really interesting precedent precedent for AEW moving forward. Because this just isn't an upstart promotion anymore. This is a real wrestling company. And these contract precedents matter for now. And in the future, because let's say um, Miro wants out in six weeks. Well, I want what Malachi got. No, that's not how that happens. You're going to take this. But but that's the precedent. That's exactly what you did. I want the same thing. I'm not asking for anything more. I just want the same. That's why precedent is such a big deal.
3: Yeah, and I think it's fair to have some questions about if miro specifically or andrade or happy there because one thing i saw on twitter was that um after luigi primo's appearance um you know just this random indie guy that like got uh, some buzz online in the, about the week prior to last dynamite uh got brought in for like basically a 20 second cameo and uh you know he was uh, primo went on twitter afterwards and was doing his in character you know extremely italian man you know uh talk and um and Miro responded to it and just said you should have been on the indies or just you should have stayed on the indies and maybe that's an in-character tweet you know the new work is the old work is kind of the deal but it didn't strike me as that it felt very why is this guy on tv and i'm not uh obviously i don't know anything and maybe it's just a, a work i'm reading way too much into and then andrade hopped on and said you know maybe they'll put me on tv if i go out with tacos Uh, approximately, that's approximately what he said. Um, You know, both guys, I think, may have come in expecting a quick shot to the main event, and neither of them are there. Um, And I think that there have been times, you know, and and part of it is that Miro was out injured and then had, uh, I think he was doing a TV show, if I recall correctly, Um, and Andrade at points has felt lost in the shuffle. Um, It's... Very interesting to me that, you know, those, those tweets came out publicly that they weren't just like texting each other or something, you know? Um, so I don't know if, you know, that is an actual issue or what. And again, I think it's a weird spot to complain about because Primo was on TV for 30 seconds and he was there to get kicked in the face and made to look like a, you know, a geek. Mm-hmm. It was basically an extra spot. It, it had no meaning. I would be shocked if we ever saw Luigi Primo on TV again uh in any real meaningful role maybe he'll show up again so that the next you know mid-carter they're trying to build in three months will get a cheap uh, oh I'm a heel I just beat up the pizza guy. Um I don't know. I like what do you think about that situation with those two?
2: It's very interesting. And I think a lot of this can be solved by uh Khan really using Rampage more and more and more and getting use using his TV time to advance more storylines. Um like unless there's something that we don't know about Miro, why in the world is he not on TV more? Why is he not wrestling more? Like, he's incredible. He's yeah. fun. He's got a great crowd connection. He's an ass. Like, all of these qualities about Miro are fantastic. Like, he's he's an ass kicker, something that this company really could use more of. And And there might be something that we just don't know whether it be contract related, whether it be, Hey, they're trying to protect him a little bit because he's still working his way back from injury, but he can still work occasionally. Like we don't know everything, but that it feels like that there's so much meat on the bone and I get Khan wants to save, you know, his matches and spread out the big money matches so he can keep drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing. But at the the end of the day, you still got to make matches and they still have to draw money. And Miro's a guy that you can draw a lot of money with, because of who his character is. And I just feel like he's being misused based on the information we have.
3: Yeah, I think that he's had some long absences that have really hurt his momentum. Uh, But I feel like he's a guy that you can heat up pretty quickly. And they just haven't been using him that much. So, I don't know. Just all in all, it's a weird situation. Um, I didn't expect that kind of situation come out of Luigi Primo, the best pizza maker. Um, Just... Very interesting, I thought.
2: I thought Luigi uh, Primo being on TV was awesome. I oh, thought, I thought it was hilarious. Thought such a big laugh out of it. Like, it, it wasn't meant to be anything. He's not getting pushed. Like, Dan Housen is used flawlessly in this company. He's entertaining. He's over with the crowd. And he literally does nothing that deserves a push, and he doesn't get one. He's yeah. just, he's fun. Wrestling can be fun in a variety show. When you have all these other elements that make a great wrestling show. And he's just another additive to that. And I love it.
3: Yeah, Primo is like a sub Danahausen level character. Like, you know, just from how they presented him. He's a he's a joke character who gets kicked in the face and dies immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. so that someone else can be a big bully heel off of it. You know, I I the idea that, you know, that he actually took a spot from anyone on the roster outside of maybe not Michael Nakazawa or Brandon Cutler, um, who uh, both have been pretty heelish for a while now. Um, you know, I, I just don't know who else you'd put in that spot. You wouldn't want to put Miro in that spot or uh, Andrade to set up uh, Ethan Page getting a squash win on Rampage over someone else.
2: No, it, it it's perfect because you don't want to use somebody on your roster for this spot. So what, what better way to get a little excitement out of the crowd than Luigi Primo, who's literally just standing there doing a quick interview, tossing pizza dough, and then he gets kicked in the face for being a geek. Yeah, It's, it's great booking because it doesn't hurt anybody that's signed to your company, and it gives somebody who's an indie wrestler an opportunity to at least get a little television time. It's perfect.
3: Well, not only did Luigi get a little television time, he is going to Japan to work a show, at least one show, for I would never have guessed the promotion in one zillion years, Gleet.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Go to a promotion of ass kickers. Ah, I want to see somebody kick the living crap out of him. That would that's fun.
3: Yeah, like I, I would have guessed DDT or uh, maybe even like Dragon there or something, but Glee is such a it's such a weird combination that it can only work well. I hope.
2: No, uh, I a hundred percent agree, and th- it'll be a lot of fun. Couple more news and notes here, be- Fred, before we really get into Dynamite and Rampage. Um, Meltzer did report in the uh, Wrestling Observer that Jeff Hardy is expected back soon. It's been a couple months since uh, Jeff Hardy did uh, check into, I believe it was um, called rehab. And it, usually that process can take anywhere from like 30 to 90 days, depending on a lot of variable factors. And then how soon they'll be able to like, get back to a relatively normal life. So this is good news for both Hardy and the company because he is very over. Um, and hopefully that this can be the last, uh, stop of his unfortunate journey with, um, substance abuse.
3: Hopefully it's, you know, obviously, uh, you know, addiction is a disease and sometimes the a disease is refractory and comes back. And in this situation, I think that's given Hardy's history, that is likely what he's dealing with. Um, hopefully, you know, this is it and he never has to deal with it again, but, it's tough. It is very tough as yet another cat run in. It is the show of cat run ins, the, uh, <laughs> the hungry cat uh, coming in with a chair. Um, yeah, so I just hope he's doing well. I don't know how I feel about the Hardy boys coming back in to be part of the show. Um, I had big thoughts on Matt Hardy on Rampage. Just, you know, once that was announced for Rampage during Dynamite, I was like, I don't, I'm not hyped for this at all. Um. And it turned out all right. I don't know if you actually got to watch Rampage this week, but it was like a a perfectly acceptable Gentleman's Three kind of level match with Darby Allen. But Darby, you know, had to work his ass off to get there.
2: If you have to work your Darby has to work his ass off to get to a Gentleman's Three, maybe you shouldn't be wrestling on television anymore at this age.
3: I mean, I think Matt Hardy would be best slotted into, like, a trios. You know, like, I kind of like if they had the belts, uh, the trios belts when he was doing the heel shtick with Private Party, you know, that kind of a situation where he could have had Private Party work the most of the matches, and Matt comes in and does his signature stuff. And, you know, they've they've slowly been teasing a face turn for Private Party on BTE, um, which, you know, who knows where that's going to go. And, but it just feels like you know, if you have both Matt and Jeff together as an act, that that makes it even harder for them to be paired with someone to be part of the trio's division. And you know, they've definitely had some moments since they've come back. You know, most notably that they have that wild um, all over the arena brawl that Jeff Hardy infamously did, a crazy spot off of against uh, the Tornado Tag uh, with Darby and Sting against the Private Party and the Butcher and the Blade, but. You know, the the majority of Jeff Hardy's matches did not look like that, I'll say. Um, And I don't know, man. I just don't know where they fit in on this roster. I feel like there's definitely better options on the roster in terms of talent uh, that you could get over. Uh, But the Hardys are already over, and that's appealing. I can see why you would definitely want to have them around. I just don't know what you do with them. You know, I I don't I would not trust Jeff Hardy enough to have him be a champion or really even in a major program. So at that point, like, what do you do? I I don't know.
2: I feel like Tony Khan is just a mark for uh, the old school team extreme, the Hardy boys, because I I I struggle with having these guys on the roster. One, uh, Jeff, I don't know if he can work anymore. Because when he was working, he was obviously impaired. And now he's trying to fix that in rehab. And then I I would
3: say that he was obviously physically in pain and not impaired. I don't think there's any clear, like, he was going out there.
2: I guess I'll say this. I don't know either way. Right. He was impaired in some way. Was it because he was under the influence? Or was it because his body is physically shot from doing, like, jumps off of 20-foot ladders? It could be either or it could be both. It could be that he's he was just kind of in a fog and he'll come back like more spry and ready to go. But based on the information we have watching his in-ring product, he should not be wrestling in a major league company. And quite frankly, neither should Matt. So I, I have this theory that Tony Khan is just a mark for Team Extreme and wants to get those nostalgia pops before they completely dry out.
3: Yeah, and you, and I think that uh, you know it's totally fair to say he's a he's a mark for them, and there's nothing wrong with that because I I get why you would be because in their at their peak they were an amazing team and an amazing act. I just think that um, you know, Matt Hardy, as creative as he is, has not had like a great idea for a gimmick since the broken Matt Hardy thing, and that Tony Khan was like, listen, I'm going to give you basically a month to do this, and then you got to come up with something else. And what he's had since then is either a watered-down version of that or, um, you know, basically going back to the Big Bunny Matt character, but just kind of in an aimless way. And that character doesn't work great if it's not, like, a high-level heel, I don't think. Yeah. And, and since he's turned face and, you know, the the team, the short reunion with Jeff ended, it's just been, like, really stuck in the mud for him. Um, and I just don't really see, like, barring him, like, complete doing another reinvention... And he just hasn't done it yet. You know, I don't know what what the proper use for him is. Uh, he, I think he has some tools that he can use. I think he's he can be a good promo. He's definitely not like he was back in the famous uh, Edge feud where he came out and cut that really bad promo that just kill, almost killed the entire storyline. Um, but he, you know, what he is doing now is not it is all I can Mm
2: -hmm. really say. Yeah, I agree completely. A couple things to wrap up here real quick. FTR will work the New Japan show um, in London defending the IWGP World Tag Team Championships against Aussie Open. Holy shit, is that going to be great.
3: Yeah, that's going to be a fantastic match. I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, probably the last note in the uh, AEW talent working elsewhere story, Abaddon was going to go over to uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro to work there some, which could have really helped her out. But unfortunately, it was announced that she was unable to go due to some issues with her visa. This like all happened last week between the episodes of our show. Um, so that was a pretty quick uh, turnaround on that, unfortunately. I I mean AEW really should be pursuing this, you know. They should be pursuing sending talents like Abaddon over there and hopefully helping them get better. And Jade Cargill would be a perfect one to send over. You know, you could take her over for a month or two and just have her work, you know, the matches over there and have her be protected, of course, because you want her to be protected. She's one of your top women stars. And maybe she'd come back and be even better in the ring. You know, that's definitely what you would hope for. So uh, the last yeah. news note I would share is that the Dynamite rating for last week uh, was the best in September 2021 with one and one p- one point one seven five million viewers. Uh, the key demo was 0. 0.39, which was number one on the night and the best they had since June first.
2: I so, think a really really big thing with this number, Fred. They've been over one million viewers now for three straight weeks. That's a that's a really nice, big deal.
3: Yeah, because they were they were not hitting that number regularly since I think uh, the return of CM Punk for a couple weeks there. Now I have a theory. You know, Dave Meltzer made the comment uh, after Raw's rating got demolished by the first Monday Night Football game of the year that he thought that they were in a hot period and um, that you know that they should have done better against the NFL, but didn't because you know you know the NFL is so big. I don't think that we're in a super hot period for either promotion right now. Uh, and I may be proven wrong on AEW. I think it's that people are have heard about the drama uh, surrounding both companies, you know, with the Vince McMahon being forced out story for WWE. Uh, and of course, the CM Punk elite story. Uh, and I think that has led to more people watching. Uh, the question is, can you convert those into... You know, I don't want to say ironic viewers because it's not that, but like train wreck viewers—people that are creating their that are rubbernecking as they're passing the wreck to see, like, oh, what's going on here? Um, I don't know that it seems like WWE may be losing those viewers. I haven't dived into it deep enough, and uh, you know, remains to be seen. Uh, but AW is definitely in a spot right now where they have those viewers. They've kept them coming back for a couple weeks now, and will they be able to convert them into like actually sticking around on a regular basis to watch the show?
2: I have a different theory here, Fred, and kind of go with me here. School's back. And depending on where you're at in the country, like Minnesota has historically started the day after Labor Day. A lot of school districts and colleges will start like the third week of August. So with people going back to school, you're having a more structured routine at night. You're not going out and doing stuff. You're not like – stand volleyball and softball leagues are done for the summer and now it's try to try to get hey we have stuff that we have to do in the mornings so we're just going to stay in and watch tv i think people are just coming back to AEW, watching it live because all their summer stuff is done and school is back in session
3: maybe you know that you might be right there um I'm just not sure. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to watch going forward and seeing what happens coming out of this. I think is you know kind of a very generic statement to make, but is also the truth.
2: <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, it, it's I mean, it will be very interesting because dynamite doing it three straight weeks kind of leads credence to what my theory is, and then obviously it was all centered around hey, you have the the title match with Punk and Moxley, and then the follow up after that, and then the follow out of all out. So there are a lot of different things it could be, and it's going to be fun to see this Thursday at three o'clock, what that dynamite rating is.
3: Yeah, for sure. Now, the most important story of the week, of course, is the PWI 500.
2: <laughs>
3: um, Which, I listen, I still think it's kind of cool. I think the idea of like doing an exercise where you try to rank wrestlers entirely or largely in kayfabe is kind of interesting in a let's look at what the past year has been. But also the kind of thing that I think I'd be bored with right about number 25 and then be like, what am I doing with my life? Um, I'm not going to make any money off of this. I'm done. But they're in a different position. Um, Five guys with AEW ties were in the top ten. Uh, and, of course, number one was Roman Reigns, because, my God, I don't know if anyone's been pushed as hard as him in WWE since, like, Hulk Hogan's, you know, peak. Uh, but the, the five guys from AEW were number three, CM Punk, number four, Adam Page, number six, Cody Rhodes, and uh, number seven, Brian Danielson, and number ten, Jonathan Gresham. And, of course, six and ten are apparently gone. I'm saying apparently because Gresham may still be under contract. That's one of those murky issues. Mm-hmm. uh but the funniest thing to me is that they forgot to rank Cash Wheeler and they had to tweet out an apology to him.
2: Oh, that's that's tremendous.
3: <laughs> it is tough to do these rankings, man. I, as someone that has done like uh women's basketball rankings polls and uh you know polls for other stuff like you've got to specifically sit you know sit down and be like, "Okay, who do I have to make sure is absolutely in this so that I don't screw up and like, you know, find out whoops, I left out, you know, Baylor women's basketball or you know Yukon or whatever,
2: oh yeah, I don't doubt that it's incredibly difficult, but when you I have should've. when you have Dax Harwood, yes, in there, and then you don't automatically be like, okay, we know Dax has had some singles matches, so we're gonna put him a little higher than cash. Let's make sure we put him ah like I don't know ten ish spots back, and then they completely forget him because Dax must have been top fifty ish.
3: I think Dax was like ninety seventh or something.
2: And that's not even unfair. So he's yeah, at
3: ninety-seven. PWI, the PWI five hundred, uh, like modular, or uh, how they consider tag team matches is very dismissive. If you can even say that about something as kind of absurd in the day and age as the PWI five hundred, but. Yeah, it is, you know, it is very funny to have like, yeah, this tag team guy, he's like in the top hundred. He may be one of the best tag team guys we ranked. I don't know. I didn't look at it that close. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where's his partner? Uh, Stop asking questions.
2: Yeah, it's...
1: What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. And I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network, Goofyofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network.
2: PWI 500 is still fun, and obviously wrestlers still care about it because of what they grew up with. But dang, that is tremendous yeah. content. I feel I feel for Cash because he's he's probably one of those guys that that really has a reverence for it still.
3: Yeah, I, I would imagine that he probably would have been flipping open the uh, the pages. You know, I think that it only is out electronically, but the the Kindle pages flipping through, going like, "All right, let's see where I am this year." We had a really, we, we've had a really good year. We're going to be way up. Wait, but there's Dax. There's Dax. All right. So I know I'm going to be around here. I know they haven't been pushing me in the singles as much, so I'll be, I'm not in here. Shit. <laughs> what the fuck?
2: Yeah. All right. Now that we have all that out of the way, Fred, it's time to get to the good, the bad, the hungry of Dynamite and Rampage. Um, let's start with the good here. There there was quite a bit of, of it. Where do you want to go?
3: Well, I'll start first of all with, uh, we already talked about Luigi Primo, but that would definitely fall under the good because that's just perfect like comedy guy usage right there. But the, the best things on Dynamite and in AEW this past week were uh, the two... Uh, Well, mainly the Jericho and Danielson match uh, to set up the um, world championship match for uh, the upcoming uh, Dynamite and the MGF promo. I thought those were the two highlights of the show that was otherwise kind of a really mixed show. Um, And I mean, Jericho and Danielson just absolutely nailed it. It was better than their pay-per-view match from uh, All Out. And some people think it was much better. I actually liked the all out match quite a bit because I thought it was a really intense technical match and they did that here, but it definitely hit better. Um, and even the crowd, which I've heard described uh, by David Moster as like a WWE style crowd that would pop for entrances and finishes. And then for like the in-between all matches, just kind of sit on their hands. They were not sitting on their hands for this match. They were wildly into it. And, mm-hmm. uh, Both Danielson and Jericho. I mean, Danielson's a savant, and Jericho is just having a fantastic year and continues to do so uh, much better than last year. Arguably his best year in the company, which is saying something given his initial title reign. I I just thought that was fantastic. I think I dropped four and a half stars on it. Uh, That's a definite go-out-of-your-way-to-watch-it kind of match.
2: Yeah, it was awesome, and I really like how they they kept building around uh, Danielson's leg injury and he did a fantastic job selling it, which can be an issue with leg matches. Uh, and we've seen that throughout the history of wrestling. Now, my question for you is we obviously have it. John Moxley versus Brian Danielson for the AW intermoral title next week. Sorry, this week, yes. Wednesday night on uh, dynamite at uh, AEW grand slam at Arthur Ashe stadium in New York. But, you think that they were building up the leg injury for Danielson, so Danielson had an out because he's losing, or because he's going to overcome it and win?
3: That's very interesting. I think it could go either way. Um, I guess the question would be: Is Mox getting his vacation after this match? You know, obviously, no one knows that because that would spoil the result of the match. Uh, but you know, it, it's a. I don't know who's going to win this match. And it's kind of refreshing to have that because the last few big world title matches uh, outside of the Mox uh, Punk one on the rampage leading up to the show, uh, it hasn't been that unpredictable. Um, it was pretty clear they were going to go with Mox as the Stay Rock, as the interim guy while Punk was out. And then, it, I mean, even going back to Punk's win over Adam Page, that it was clear that he was going to be getting that win. Um, so... I don't know. I really don't know who's going to win. And I think that really adds to the situation. Um, this would be the third company that Brian Danielson would get the belt uh, in after pretty much immediately after CM Punk goes out for a while. Uh, in Ring of Honor, when Punk left the company, uh, it went to Danielson, which started his famous title reign. And then uh, when uh, Punk walked out of WWE, it essentially led to the WrestleMania 30 Brian Danielson. Uh, championship win as uh, Danielson got extremely hot at that point, and uh, they kind of had to change their booking. Uh, just kind of a weird footnote in history,
2: yeah. It was a weird footnote, and that, that is really interesting because eventually, if we do get a return to AWC and Punk and Danielson is the champion, that is something that they really have not explored yet, and that could be interwoven so nicely with the storyline of those two that I am very excited about.
3: Oh, yeah. One of the best things about AEW is they would reference that and they would make a big deal out of it. And uh, that would work really well. (laughs) It'd be a really cool, like, we have this history uh, because we acknowledge all wrestling. um, And this is our, you know, this is a big part of our storyline. 100%.
2: And now uh, kind of the things we need to talk about next, Fred. The promos on this show were very interesting. Yes, we can start with MJF, MJF, one of the best talkers on the planet. For sure. I loved, loved, loved his promo. What did you think?
3: I thought it was really good. I actually thought it was a little down from last week, but we're like splitting hairs really when you get to that point. Um, I mean, I thought that he nailed it. I thought he really uh, helped set up his eventual uh, title match with whoever wins this tournament. Uh, it has, you know, obviously one thing that's interesting is, he, is he's really been heavily pushing the Mox angle and it does make me question if they're going to do a swerve and have Danielson win the title instead. Uh, or, you know, if they've just been telling us the entire time, Hey, Moxley is going to win it because MGF has been hyper focused on him, uh, from the word go. Um, but I, you know, he, he I don't know how much longer MGF can be a heel. It's a genuine question I have, just because when he came out, these fans, he got a stone cold Austin babyface pop from these fans. It was so over. And um, that's been the situation. You know, last week, that was a situation. I don't know if he's going to be able to be a heel long term just because he's so good at being a heel that he's getting face reactions. And it's a really bizarre thing about professional wrestling that that happens. But yeah.
2: Yeah, it was. It, you make a good point, and I cannot remember who made the comparison. Otherwise, I would give them credit. Um, somebody mentioned him being the Rock, and was that Lanza? It might have been uh, because it the parallels make sense. He was a heel, or sorry, he was a face, and then he went heel or whatever. But then everybody wanted to love him, and they he kind of even though he was a heel, people still loved him phenomenal talkers, Um pretty good in ring. Like the rock was never phenomenal in the ring. MJF is getting closer than we ever would have projected. I
3: think MJF is, is great in the ring to be honest. Like he doesn't do it very often, but when he does, he's, I mean, the last few big matches he's had, they've been great. And it's not because he's been carried.
2: And I, I think a lot of MJF in the ring is, I guess I'm, I'm strictly talking about from a work rate perspective. He's, not great but he's very good and a lot of what what his great matches are so built up with a tremendous story beforehand because like i i look specifically at the dog collar match with cm punk i went five stars on it oh that was amazing i I didn't think the in-ring work was all tremendous but there's so much heat and passion and anger and everything was built so well that it just worked as a five star match. Where if you specifically only look at the work rate, I don't think it gets up to that level. But there was is- definitely
3: a case where the heat helped, but I mean there's been other matches like the full gear match against Darby Allen last year. I mean, Darby's obviously great, but like MGF more than carried his share of that. And that was like a near five star match for me.
2: Yeah. I, I I guess maybe, maybe we're splitting hairs as far as this conversation because I think maybe. he is very good. Um, but the promo element is I think what's what kind of really lends credence to how good of a comparison this is. And I'm very intrigued to see how he continues to grow because once he gets that belt, he his character right now is almost the antithesis of what AEW is. He is the anti-hero. He is against the corporation. And in the AEW was against WWE being the main source of American professional wrestling. So they created their own company. Now, MJF is against Tony Khan, who is not running AEW anymore. He's running a major wrestling company. Like the parallels between how AEW formed and what MJF is kind of how he's attacking this now are eerily similar to me.
3: I, I think that's uh definitely a thing. Do you think it is a bad idea to have AEW in, for lack of a better term, the heel slot here? You think that's going to actually cause harm to the company long-term? Because I know that is something Dave Meltzer is like really expressed concern about several times.
2: I'm not concerned until Tony Khan uh, becomes an actual television personality. He's been on TV. He's made announcements, but he's never made himself an on-screen character. And I think that's where Dave Meltzer really has the worry, at least in my opinion, he's worried Khan is going to make himself that character because everything is laid out for him to make himself that character.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I would definitely not want him to like try to Mr. McMahon himself or anything. Um, I think it would be best served if he just stayed off screen. Um, right. Now, as great as the MGF promo was, it led directly into the Stokely Hathaway and The Firm promo. And this was... Um, This was very interesting, I think, on several levels. Uh, What do you think about this segment?
2: I didn't hate it as much as other people, and I'm going to talk about the one thing I did love about the transition from MJF to Stokely Hathaway. They're a stable on retainer, and that is perfect for MJF because he doesn't need to be in a stable. He doesn't need to lead guys, but now he has people to do his bidding whenever he wants. And now you have an excuse for this group to exist. And they Stokely really pushed that home when he went and was talking about all these guys. And he sped before introducing them all like when MJF's bidding is done, will be done. It This group was specifically put together to go beat the shit out of people for MJF. And I think how they set that up was tremendous.
3: I can't disagree with that. And I think that one thing that I thought was good about the promo is that Stokely did specifically, I mean, it was a very much a setting the table kind of program, promo. It was, this is why I'm doing this. This is what I, Stokely Hath- uh, Hathaway am about as a character. And this is why each of these guys are in this group and what their goals are. Um, I thought that part was very well done. I thought Stokely's delivery was solid. Uh, I think he's done better. But it was solid. Um, But the crowd just was not into this at all. Like, they died as soon as Stokely became the feature of the segment and MGF was out of there. And I think part of that was that he was following MJF, who is so over at this point in time. But I think another aspect of it is that this is, for pretty much every guy in the group, uh, this is a rehab project, if you think about it. Uh, Morrissey's only AW prior uh, exposure was a loss to Wardlow, which isn't going to kill him. But when you think of uh Morrissey or Cass, you think about how he was kind of becoming a star in WWE and then kind of screwed it up. Um, there's uh Lee Mirardi who is not a star yet, he could become a star, I think he will be a star. Uh, but you know, this would be establishing him as that. Uh, you have the gun club who you look at and you know they're main role has been kind of Joe Keels against the Acclaimed. Um, And, uh, shoot, I'm blanking out on the other member. Um, Uh, Did you say Moriarty? uh, I didn't say him. Um, Ethan Page? Ethan Page is is a major rehab project. I know some people that really are down on Ethan Page. I think you know, if I were to compare him to anyone, he really (laughs) reminds me of Brian Cage in 2019. Ooh. I can see that. This guy has, I can see some talent in him. I can see why you would look at Brian Cage at at that point in time, and now he's still, or Ethan Page and be like, this is someone we should try to push and get over. But I can also see why it's not working. And I mean, I think that the Dan Lambert stable, the men of the year with Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page really only got Dan Lambert over. Um, I think that Scorpius guy ended up in the exact same spot that he was at before. And I think he's, is he out injured now? If I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I worked my injury report, but
2: yeah, uh, that sounds right.
3: Yeah. He's definitely disappeared. I, I think because of an injury and then Ethan page, you know, took a couple months off just to, I guess, transition. Uh, but you know, Ethan Page. I, the only thing that I can really think of as like a major positive for him in AW since he came in was the Darby match uh, that he had, which was fantastic. Those two work really great together. But other than that, like it's been very—he's been here, kind of a situation with him. Um, I don't know that he has, you know, I for lack of a better term, just the X factor that will make him a star. But I can see why you would look at them and be like, eh, "We gotta. I think we can try to make a star here." Um. So that'll I be.
2: They, I hope they do. Like, I mean, obviously, awesome.
3: it'd be great if any of these guys become over because you know the the one thing that makes wrestling better is when people are over. And if he can get all these guys over, that'd be great. But the the fact is that I don't know that this group has much credibility right now, and I think that kind of makes it tough for the crowd to do the initial buy in. They're going to try to push and establish that. And it's probably going to be a lot of squashes. I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, Ethan Page, 60-second wins kind of stuff, you know, with pretty much everyone in the group. Uh, maybe they won't book Morarty that way because he probably will do, get over better from having competitive matches. But Morrissey's a guy that will definitely get over from squashing people. Uh, Ethan Page, you know, they've already shown, even previously, that they like to have him squash people. Mm-hmm. And the Gun Club, you know, they probably will... You know, I don't know who they would have them feud with right now. but I don't think they're ready for like a, a proper feud. So they're probably going to also be on squash duty for a while. So.
2: Yeah, I don't, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out because it could go a lot of different directions.
3: Yeah. Uh Was there anything else off of dynamite that uh, stuck out to you?
2: Yeah, Um I'm going to bury something, Fred. Um, all right. I was at, I was. I hated the fact that the Lucha brothers just automatically got a tag team title shot. With no explanation. Um, swerving our glory. Didn't give them the shot like they did to the acclaimed. They just got, got a tag title shot and it didn't make sense. They're the trios champions I get, but where's the cohesiveness? Where is the, um, the connective tissue to give them a title shot? They didn't beat, uh, uh, Strickland or, uh, Lee in singles matches they won the trios tournament like or the sorry not the tournament but they beat the best friends for the belts like why are they getting a title shot like what were they ranked like they just all of a sudden get one there's no build to it like it they could have easily just done hey this is a this is like the eliminator like they do all the time they've had yeah. moxley face guys with that eliminator title be like hey okay mance warner got an eliminator match on rampage like they do that all the time and that's great it gives you an excuse to give a champion a match without putting the belts on the line and then all of a sudden the lucha bros get a title shot that kind of goes against everything that AEW has been to this point they have intentionally made a point to explain why they're getting a title match oh they're ranked this and then they'll like Oh, they're number two, but number one just had a title match and they lost. So we're giving it to number two or, hey, the champion accepted a challenge or the champion offered a match. This just came out of nowhere. I thought it didn't make sense for how AEW books their product. And even though the match was good, it didn't even deliver on a level that you should expect from the quality of these two teams and these four wrestlers. I just thought overall, the segment was mostly a dud. It did not really help advance Swerve in our glory or the Lucha brothers because this could have been a situation where they worked in an injury angle for either Lee or swerve. So then they have more of an excuse for losing to the acclaimed at Grand Slam, but they didn't do that. I just felt that this was a a waste of our time and really hurts. I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. It, It really makes like, as a viewer and how connect there's so much connective tissue happens with this company and title shots. It's kind of a slap in the face to just all of a sudden, just boom, here you go. Uh, I thought it was very frustrating and they could have at least tried and it didn't feel like they did at all.
3: I think, uh, actually I have an interesting thing that I just kind of realized while I was sitting here. When was the last time they explicitly mentioned the rankings? It's been a few weeks, hasn't it?
2: It has. And, I wonder if the EVPs had anything to do with those rankings.
3: I don't know. It's, you know, just a really, you know, they, they were, I mean, for ever since they started, they've been referencing the rankings as, as a reason for matches to happen. Uh, I just haven't heard anything about the rankings in a few weeks now. And I don't even know if they're updated on, I guess I can check the website right now, but you know, it's just silent on that. Um, the rankings haven't been updated since August 31st. So I don't know. It makes you wonder. Um, and before that, you know, they were doing it weekly and then it was like a three week period before the last update. So I don't know if they're moving away from the rankings. I don't know if they're just kind of temporarily on hold because of the whole mess, you know, in the multiple divisions that they have with Rosa going out and with uh, the elite and CM Punk being stripped mm-hmm. um, and how you would even address that in the rankings. Um, from a kayfabe uh, perspective, but you know, that's just, I don't know. Maybe they're just like, well, we can just make matches, I guess kind of mindset change there. I don't know.
2: After driving it home for so long and they, their track record by utilizing it made so much sense and they stuck to it to just do this was like, for me, it was infuriating and I understand I'm going to be on the more extreme end of the spectrum here, but it, it just sucks. They, they they could have done it so many different ways. And they just threw it together and announced it like five minutes before the match. Like we can be better than this.
3: I have less of an issue with the match itself happening the way it did. My bigger issue, because I, I imagine that what's going to happen is that, uh, Swarven or Gloria will lose the belts on Wednesday and they'll break up shortly after, if not literally Wednesday night, because they've been teasing that for pretty much ever since the group started. um, I just don't imagine that the team itself is very long for this world. So if you assume that, then I can imagine that, you know, Tony Khan was like, well, we could probably might, we could just do a Lucha Bros match, you know, for the first time between them and get that in. I don't have such an issue with that. The part that bothers me is that it only, it didn't even get 10 minutes. If I recall correctly, I think it was like nine and a half or something is how long it took for them to win that match. Um, But to me, like if you're going to just throw that match out there, at least give it time to be, like, a great match. What it ended up being was, like, pretty good. It was, like, three and a half stars to me, like, a, at a real... You know, if, you, if you're if you a fan of these guys, you should take the time to watch it, but I wouldn't, like, recommend any kind of neutral fan to really get out of their way for it. Um, But, yeah, I think between just the randomness of putting it together and the lack of time it got, it was very unexpected and kind of weird to me.
2: Yeah, uh, after being so consistent with this to just drop this in our laps, I thought was very disappointing, but it is what it is. And I I think you're right on swerving our glory. I think they're done on Wednesday because they, they set that up heavy at all out with each of them screwing over the other one on a near fall. And the acclaimed are might be the most over thing in wrestling right now because of scissor me daddy. which is just insane. God
3: bless wrestling.
2: (laughs) Wrestling is the (laughs) dumbest thing in the world other than college football. And I love both of them. Oh, so very, very much.
3: Um, Yeah. I mean, they're, they're wildly over. It's really an impressive uh, level that they're at right now. I think that building is going to come unglued when they, I assume when they uh, win the belts on Wednesday. Um, Anything else off of dynamite you want to talk about?
2: Not really. Overall was a pretty good show. It, It wasn't as good as once we had seen previous, but I really didn't have any major complaints other than that match. And even that match, like in a vacuum, it's fine. It was just so disappointing considering how consistent they've been with giving out title shots.
3: See, I was a little more down on this show just because I thought Moxley and Guevara really underdelivered. I thought Jungle Boy and Jay Lethal uh, was not what it could be at all when you just look at those two names and see they got a singles match for twelve minutes and then you watch it, I, I think you'd be disappointed by what you saw. Uh the women's match was kind of a mess. There are a couple of big balloon spots in there. Um and I feel like the women's division is really like I it's it's kind of a a regular complaint about it, but it's really just struggling right now just in terms of, you know, storylines. Like it just feels like it's really spinning its wheels. Uh, One positive I'll point out is that Jim Ross was not on commentary. Yay. Um, I think, you know, and I'll say this uh, as we head into the talking about uh, Rampage. I think he was actually like pretty good on Rampage. Maybe I just completely missed him screwing something up. uh, (laughs) But I thought he he did a good job on it. So I think the answer is to keep him on Rampage and just have him do like one hour at a time and have him only do like part of the uh, pay-per-views. I think I think stamina is an issue
2: with them. Well, I also think that when you talk about rampage and and you have it written perfectly on the show sheet, it was b show as hell. Oh, yeah. I think when you don't put the high octane stuff on a show, that's where Ross needs to be. It it almost feels like the perfect home for Jim Ross is AEW Dark. <laughs> yeah, because it's just going to be calling territory squashes.
3: Yeah. And, and that's sad as hell because, frankly, you know, I, I really think he's lost his fastball. I think he's well past his prime at this point. And it pains me to say that as someone that grew up a wrestling fan, and, you know, really during the Monday Night Wars when he was like at the peak of his abilities. But, he, you know, he is not one of their three best announcers right now. No, I would rather have Tony Schiavone out there. And I know that Tony's role is basically to be the happy uncle, but he's really good at being the happy uncle. who's just impressed by good wrestling. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Excalibur is a fantastic announcer. He may be the best in the world right now. And there's a lot of competition for that. Now uh, he, you can make the argument that he is the best doing it right now. Um, I think uh, Taz is great as a collar guy. I think he and Excalibur have fantastic uh, chemistry and they work really well together uh, Taz can shift pretty effortlessly from doing quick chokes to really making a match feel like a fight and getting stuff over. Um, uh, Daddy Magic on Dark. I-, I watched Dark this week, and there wasn't anything to recommend off of it. I don't even think there was a match over five minutes. Uh, but Daddy Magic is just so entertaining on the mic, and him doing commentary with Excalibur is... Uh, it is a podcast in wrestling form. That was Dark Reve- um, Elevation, I should say. Um, I did hear, did see that there was a five minute match, I think, on the latest episode of Dark, but it was a Matt Hardy match. And I was like, nah, I'll just have one Matt Hardy match this week. Thanks.
2: <laughs> um, we don't need more than one.
3: Yeah, uh, which we've already discussed quite a bit. I will say that I liked uh, Josh Woods versus Samoa Joe. I didn't love it. I'm not going to. I would. I gave it three and a half stars, just like the Lucha Bros. Uh, swerve in our glory match. But I like Josh Woods. I think he's a very capable guy. And I think if you want to have someone in your roster that's pushed as kind of this, you know, like Jake Hager, but younger and with better matches, I mean, I think that's Josh Woods. I think he can really fit in that slot. He looks like a badass, he wrestles well, he needs a manager. He's never going to be like a good promo, at least like a real super engaging guy. Maybe you can have him do like a a decent reality based promo, but he's never going to be more than that, as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's capable. He is perfectly capable, and he's going to be like a decent Tony Nice level mid Carter.
2: Yeah, he's. I don't know what to think of Josh Woods because he he is kind of that dichotomy of, hey, he's an opening round act, but he can hold a mid-card title because he yeah. has the look, he has the presence, he has the ability in the ring. But the man can't talk worth a crap.
3: Yeah. I I liked his Ring of Honor stuff when he was the pure champion there uh, in the dying days of the promotion. Um, you know, He managed to make some pure matches feel engaging in a time when... uh I, I think he had them during the pandemic when there was no crowds whatsoever. Um, But, I mean, he is... He's solid. You know, that's what I'll say. And uh, Samojo, obviously not what he once was, but still he is a good worker and has the presence and can cut a good promo. Um, so it was a decent combination. But this was a total B-show. If Tony Khan is going to go and say that Rampage is never a B-show, you just have to point at this one and be like, you're wrong. <laughs> you just did this a week ago. I know the the... The Grand Slam one's going to be different. It's going to be a much bigger deal, but this is just a total like, you know, Penelope Ford and Willow Nightingale, decent match, solid. Uh if Willow Nightingale can improve in the ring, she's going to be a giant star, I think. She's got so much charisma. Um but, you know, you she's have got that, that
2: baby face thing too where people are just drawn to her.
3: It, it's not I wouldn't say it's the, at the same level at least not yet, but it feels like uh, NXT Bailey.
2: Yeah, I could see that. Absolutely.
3: Just that, that kind of baby face uh, charisma that people want to like you. I think uh, young girls in particular, you know, kids in the crowd uh, could really get it behind her. I think they have something with her. And I think that they should start pushing her more than just like, oh, hey, it's Willow Nightingale. She's on TV and she's going to have a decent performance at going to lose. I think they really need to figure out a way to try to, like, make something out of her. Because I think they have possibly something with her um but again you know the in ring is what is her weakest point right now um and she's definitely not at like the level of anyone that was in the women's tag match from dynamite this past week mm-hmm. um, i wouldn't put her at athena's level and athena can athena is hit and miss she can be kind of sloppy sometimes but i think she's very capable in the ring i thought she actually dragged a pretty good match out of jay cargill all things considered on the pay-per-view um Britt Baker still has some flaws in the ring, but I mean, Willow is not as good as her and Tony storm is just at a different level. And Serena Deeb who definitely has charisma issues, but she's, you know, to me, she's kind of like the female version of Josh Woods. I think she can go in the ring. She works a heavily technical kind of thing, but the charisma is lacking there. But Willow is just, I don't know that she can work at the level of those four. I think having her feud with maybe Serena Deeb would be a good uh, way to possibly get her over. Um, but
2: like
3: yeah because you know they, they bring what the other one lacks like Deeb does not have that kind of you know superstar charisma Willow is radiant when she walks on screen and Deeb is a very good technical worker and Willow is currently not uh, you know I'm not saying that I need Willow Nightingale to be putting people in holds but she needs to be able to structure a decent match that she can then finish uh, she does a great pounce her pounce looks fantastic Penelope Ford sold the hell out of that um, but, uh, you know, you can see, I can see where like Willow Nightingale could be an acceptable, uh, not a, even better than acceptable, a good woman wrestler on this roster, but she needs to get there.
2: Yeah. And I think AEW can help her get there. And I think utilizing her more on both dynamite and rampage and, and then dark as well, just yeah. get her reps, get her going. And I think you could have a potential champion in maybe three, four years, but you have to be able to put in that groundwork now, and it feels like that they're at least trying, which is a good thing.
3: It is a good thing. Um, and, I mean, I think Penelope Ford has improved quite a bit, too. She she needs to regain her momentum from when she was out injured so long, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I really don't know what the act with uh, Kip Sabian and her is now after all the box stuff with Kip Sabian, but that's more a Kip issue than a Penelope issue. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this was a B show, but there are people on the show that I look at and go, You know, you got some pretty good uh, stuff here. You know, you got some talent you can work with. Yeah. So it's definitely not a talent issue.
2: I think uh, Penelope Ford just seems to go out and be hot girl who can do a bunch of cool shit.
3: Yeah. And there's definitely nothing wrong with that. She can, I mean, that's, I don't know if that's like a main event woman level, but that's definitely like a a solid mid card level. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Um, YouTube stuff this week. Uh, I you know, I watched the one show. It had absolutely nothing I would recommend on it, other than uh, there was a, a clip of Daddy Magic and Excalibur trying to figure out which of the guys on the team are called Cubes, while his partner is making a rectangle with his fingers. That was uh, definitely entertaining. But unless you want to hear Daddy Magic for an hour, I wouldn't recommend it as anything to get out of your way for. Um, I will say that right before we started recording, I watched, uh, the latest episode of Hey EW that, uh, RJ city does and Jim Ross may be the perfect guest on that show, because I don't know if you, have you watched any of those get, uh, the, the shows that they do on that on YouTube?
2: I'll be honest. I haven't, but if it's RJ city, I kind of already know where this is going and it sounds awesome.
3: Yeah. It's like a parody of a sit down interview where he just does like the worst questions you can think of. Uh, and basically kind of low key trolls the, the guest it's all gimmick, you know, obviously they're in on the joke, except maybe Jim Ross. (laughs) I cannot rule out the possibility that Jim was not filled in on what this was, uh, because he just, I mean, it was very clearly, uh, JR being kind of grumpy. Uh, but in this circumstance, grumpy Jr. does not mean burying a like really good match because the, ta- the the ref isn't enforcing the tag roof rule or whatever. It's him burying RJ City's stupid you know act that should be buried to his face as part of the act, and it works really well. And I do have to actually recommend that as like a, a watch this for nine minutes kind of deal. Um, I, I was entertained by it.
2: I'll uh, check m- it out.
3: More importantly, let's talk about Grand Slam, because, you know, they've got this massive show coming up, and I've got the cards pulled up, and uh, Rampage is going to be two hours this week. I assume it's still coming on at the regular time, but I don't know that.
2: I would guess that it's coming on an hour earlier. Um, w-
3: yeah, it probably sh- probably is, um, but I have not seen anything that confirms that. I'll flip through the... Uh, the list, you know, the Twitter account right now, but it's mainly stuff for Dynamite and other upcoming shows. Um, no, it is actually coming on at 10 Eastern, like usual. It's a two hour okay. special. So that's interesting. So it's going to midnight. I am too old to stay up for that, probably. Um, but uh, okay, let's start with Dynamite. Uh, so the matches we got uh Orange Castle and Pac for the All Atlantic title. Uh, we got the women's to- uh, four-way for the interim world title with Tony defending against Steve, Athena, and Britt Baker, so the, th- the everyone from the tag match this past week. Uh, the world t- tag title uh, for the acclaimed against Swerve in Our Glory, then the Ring of Honor world title, Chris Jericho versus Claudio, and then the uh, finals of the AEW World, t- uh, to- world Championship title tournament, uh, Brian Danielson against John Moxley. That show sounds fantastic
2: on paper. Oh, I I love that. I love that Jericho's like, oh, now now that I can't uh get a chance at the AEW title, I want the ROH title. You know, just being a cocky little shit. I think that's awesome. It's gonna be a fun match with him and Claudio because they, they can work a very technical submission-based style. Like this show on paper is tremendous and could be one of the best television shows of the year.
3: I'm really excited for it. Um, And and Jericho even set up before he was eliminated in the uh, tournament that uh, on commentary after Claudio wrestled defended its belt against Dax, I think it was, on Rampage a couple weeks ago. Jericho made a big deal on commentary about how he's never even challenged for the Ring of Honor World title. And I thought that would set something up down the road. Uh, But I guess we're doing it now, which I'm not going to complain about. Um, That match should own. Uh, Deos and Moxley, of course, will be awesome. If that gets, I mean, I can't imagine not getting 20, 25 minutes at least. But whatever they do, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, The Acclaimed are going to steal the show, I think.
2: I think so, too. And if the world title wasn't on the show, I would immediately say, you need to get these guys in the main event, finish the show with it. But because of that, the main event is obviously going to be for the world title. I think you need to (laughs) open the show with uh, Scissor Me Daddyo. I
3: I would open with the world title honestly because my fear is that they if you know the acclaimed would take all the air out of the building when they win I, you know it'll be like a happier version of what happened at All Out where after their loss it took forever for the crowd to respond or to to recover to get back into the show and that's not going to happen because yeah I assume they're going to win the title and it'll be like a real babyface thing I think you close the show with that
2: because I... I would agree. I don't think they will. Um, it, it also helps the cause for them closing the show that both um, Castor and Bowens are from New York.
3: Yeah. So they're hometown is- guys. Yeah. And uh, I mean, they're going to get a major star reaction when they win. I think that's what you close the show with. Um, I, that's, I would make that argument hard if I was in the the meeting room, you know, putting this together.
2: I I would too. Um, but It'll be interesting to see how that all lays out. This is going to be a tremendous uh, grand slam, and we're going to have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about next week, especially with the future of the company and how things are going to shape up moving forward with that AEW World Championship because we know MJF has the ability to get a shot, and it feels like they're teasing a money-in-the-bank cash-in, Fred.
3: It does feel like
2: that. Do you think that they may actually go through with it?
3: They could. Uh, I mean, the rules of wrestling or whatever they are, until they need them to be something else. Mm-hmm. There, there hasn't been a clear rule that the cat, you know, the poker chip deal is a cashing kind of deal. But you know what will make it a cash-in deal is if they make it that. It, you know, it's not like there's some hard and fast rule book where it says that it is this, and there's no way to change that. I, I think it would really fit into what MJF is doing. Um, I think if they do that, then he's going to get a massive baby face reaction from the hometown crowd. Um, I, I would probably build it up. You know, I don't think I would do it. I don't think it'd be necessarily the right move, but I can definitely see the temptation to pull it off.
2: Yeah. This, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the show is structured and excuse me. Yeah. Also what they set up for rampage, which they're going to tape right after. The crowd gets a two-hour dynamite and a two-hour rampage, presumably with loaded cards for both. I wish I was going to be in that crowd.
3: Oh, it's going to be fantastic! Now, I th- I wonder if they're actually going to do the seven to eight Eastern block as part of Rampage, rather than going to midnight. But because uh, they, they've got a, a stack card for Rampage, uh, they got the golden ticket battle royal. They've got the 2.0 against Action Bronson and Hook, Uh very WWE I know celebrity match, which uh, yeah, Tony Khan likes to do too. So that'll be very interesting mm-hmm. to watch. They got Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara. They got Samoa mm-hmm. Joe and Wardlow against Josh Woods and Tony Nese, uh, which might set up a Joe and Wardlow match. I don't know. Uh, they've got Diamante challenging Jade Cargill for the TBS title, which I can't imagine going over four minutes. I think that's going to be a total squash. So-
2: uh, I don't think they'll do Rampage in the first hour and then again the second hour because the sun's still going to be out in the first hour and it's not going to be later on. Mm. I don't I don't know how you could have a two-hour show and then all of a sudden right at that um, 11 p.m. Point. Eastern mark, it goes from light to dark.
3: Well, that's how the sun works, right? Yeah. I mean, they could always just be like, well, we taped this uh, earlier in the week. I don't know. They usually don't acknowledge that for, for pre-taped shows, though, so that's a good point. Um, Hobbs and Starks is going to be really interesting they've got Jungle Boy against Ray Phoenix which could be a great match and then uh, what might be the main event is uh, of this part of it is a no DQ match between uh, the House of Black, Birdie King and uh, Buddy Matthews against Darby Allin and Sting
2: that sounds like fun
3: yeah that match will Sting will probably dive off something that he shouldn't um, and assuming no one gets hurt it'll be great I think
2: I love it. This this is going to be a very, very, very fun week for AEW. Um, and before we get out of here, Fred, we got to talk a little bit about the backlog. You watched a lot of really fun wrestling this week.
3: I did. I started watching the G1 uh, because I'm very timely. I'm only two months behind. Um, but, you know, obviously there's some really good stuff on that. Um, just from the first show, uh, I already watched uh, – Osprey and El Phantasma, I think it was, from the opening night, which was great. Uh, and there was also Jeff Cobb and Okada from that first night, which I also thought was great. I thought that was a really good four-and-a-half-star match. Uh, I Back a month before the G1 started, there was a junior, uh, IWGP junior match, uh, championship match between Hiromu and Taiji Ichimori as a follow-up for the Best of the Super Juniors, and that was a fantastic match. And I'll tell you what made that match. It went 35 minutes, and I was starting to get kind of like, I think this is going too long. Then they did a double down with about five or ten minutes before the end with Hiromu and Taiji both just laying there selling, and Red Shoes was in the ring, and Red Shoe just starts screaming at them to get up and start wrestling again. And that made the match as you know i mean the work in it was fantastic both guys were working their asses off but red shoes doing that just made it feel feel really unique and really made the match special um and i have not yet been able to watch the the desperado jun kasai death match from this past week that uh, everyone was talking about but i did watch the setup tag from the last uh taka taichi mania that he did back in May, and that was fantastic. That was nearly a five-star match, and that had uh, Kasai tagging with Tomowaki Hanma, who despite barely being able to move, like was still quite good in this match, and Desperado tagging with Doki.
2: I need to see one, that tag match, because yes, that sounds fun, and then I really want to see that Kasai-Despy match. I do, too,
3: and I really need to take the time to watch it this coming week. And another thing that I described randomly this morning while I was in between working on stuff was uh, just a a match from a Deadlock Pro match uh, from a fire taping on June 3rd between Anthony Henry and Colby Carino, and this really impressed me. Way more than I thought it would. Uh, it was about 15 minutes. These guys are just working in a little ballroom, but the crowd super into it. Um, the guys from the Deadlock podcast uh, just were, you know, doing the best they could on commentary. And frankly, they're better than they should be, probably, at commentary. Uh, I thought these two just nailed this match. Kobe Carino uh, looked really good. Anthony Henry uh, did great stuff. You know, they were. And the story of the match was that these two guys really hated each other, that Colby Carino, like, desperately wanted Anthony Henry's respect. And uh, Henry was acting like the big brother bully heel that wasn't going to give it to him. Um, it was great. It, it kind of had that vibe that uh, Taichi and Tomohiro Ishii have when they wrestle each other, where Ishii thinks that Taichi's an underachiever and kind of hates him, and Chi gets pissed off and wants to prove himself. And it's a slightly different, you know, storyline here, but it had the same kind of vibe. And I would definitely recommend that. It's up on, for free on YouTube. I'll tweet out the link on the show account. Uh, but good stuff, really good stuff.
2: That sounds like something I, I can watch while I'm working. Um, the only thing I've I've watched recently that's kind of worth noting, um, Fred. I finally watched the Cage of Death, the original CZWROH match. Uh, oh. Man. What a bunch of fun that was! <laughs> I
3: have a dirty secret. I have not seen that match.
2: Ooh, I, I recommend it. We'll we'll talk about it next week, and then uh uh we'll talk. We can talk about the uh, um, desby Kasai uh, death match because I think one that cage match is fun, and there's there's obviously a, a lot of history built in with the CZW ROH War, and then oh yeah,
3: um, massive storyline. Oh, I remember following along with it online i was not really watching wrestling at that point but i was kind of following it through forums and stuff and it sounded like it was a great like one of the high
2: points of ring of honor mm-hmm. and then that obviously that death match from uh Taiji mania that is going to be that that could end up being a sneaky top 10 match of the year candidate with how much buzz it's getting
3: for sure i don't even think it's sneaky at this point it's been talked about too much to be sneaky I don't think anyone could have reasonably expected that for going in really necessarily uh, to get this level of buzz, but it definitely has. And it's, you know, it's awesome that it's, you know, this this little offshoot of uh, Taka's just tap out uh, company is a possible top five match of the year. The way people are talking about it.
2: I don't know if it's going to beat um, Takeda and Kodaka from 2018 that finished seventh. Yeah, but. It, it, it wouldn't be surprising if it ends up getting there. I think the one thing that it has going against it is AEW has had a phenomenal in-ring year and new Japan, even though it's clap crowds has put out quite a few bangers as well. It's, it may be hard for it to be top 10, but if it's as good as people are saying, it's got a real shot.
3: Oh yeah. Plus stardom has uh, also had some real uh, bangers too.
2: So. Ooh, this is, this is going to be a really fun year for match of the year, but Fred, that is our show here today. Um, We we survived day two. Hopefully, uh, Rich doesn't uh, lock the door and throw away the key.
3: Uh, We'll jimmy the lock if he does. Uh, If you want to email us, you can at hungipod at gmail.com. That's H-U-N-G-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. The show account is at goodbadhungie. Once again, H-U-N-G-E-E. We'd love to hear from you. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, next week, we'll be definitely talking about a uh, Grand Slam, and it'll be interesting to see if there's any more fallout from uh, All Out.
2: Fallout from All Out. That's a great way to end it. Take care, everyone. God bless.
3: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain.